This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I think we can all say that we know what it feels like to be confused. How many of you ever get confused? All right, I was, um, I guess this was Saturday, this past Saturday, I was at Home Depot buying a grill. Our grill had died, and we were getting a new one ahead of Memorial Day. They had some good sales on, so I got the grill, had the big grill box perched on top of my cart, and I headed out to the parking lot to try to fit it into my small car. And uh, I, I went towards my car, and I kept going, and I kept going, and my car was not showing up. And so I turned around and went to the other place where I thought my car must be. And it wasn't there either. And uh, I started to feel pretty silly wheeling that cart with a huge box perched on top of it around the Home Depot parking lot trying to figure out where my vehicle was. I think uh, most of us have probably been there uh, looking for that vehicle and you thought you knew where it was and mine doesn't have the fancy, you know, you can make it beep from a distance away kind of thing. So you're just kind of lost until you find it. And it's a white sedan, so it's a little bit difficult to find. But we've all, we've all been there, but it's no big deal, right, when you get confused about something like that. Um, might be a little embarrassing, but you get it figured out. Sometimes it's a little bit of a bigger deal. So like in school, have you guys ever had a time, maybe you're trying to read a word, and the more you try to read the word, the more confused you get. You just can't, you can't figure it out. Or a math problem, and as hard as you try, you just cannot figure out that math problem. Or maybe for those of you a little bit further along, it's like a, a science formula that you're wrestling with, and the more you wrestle with it, the more confusing it becomes. That's a little, a little bigger of a deal because you get stuck and you just, what am I going to do? How can I, how can I move forward with this? And that, that's, that's even more frustrating. But you know, what's really difficult is when we start to get confused about those bigger questions. When we start to get discouraged, we, we look around and we start to have questions about our life or about the world, and things confuse us and they confound us and we're not sure what's going on or what things mean. Well, tonight we're going to look at three different guys in the Bible who got confused and they got discouraged. They looked around and things didn't seem to make sense. Things didn't seem to be the way that they thought they ought to be. And the more that they looked at their situation, the more discouraged they got, and the more confused they got, and the more it didn't make sense. And we're going to look at these three guys because there's some lessons that we can learn from them with how they responded and what God did in their lives through those times. So first of all, I want to take a look together at Psalm 73. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Psalm 73. And you do have those Bibles in front of you in the pew. If you didn't bring one with you, you can grab one of those. Psalm 73. We're going to look at a guy named Asaph. All right. This is a name that's probably familiar to some of you, may not be familiar to others of you. Uh, Asaph, was the, uh, he was a musician. Okay, And he was a good musician. He was good enough that King David chose Asaph to be... Uh, to have an important position in helping to lead the worship to God that was happening in the tabernacle. 
And so he would help to lead the people in giving praise to God. The Levites would kind of be like a choir, and he would help in that choir, leading them, directing them. He also wrote songs that they could sing to God in praise. So he was a good musician. He was focused specifically on music to praise and honor God. So this was a very talented guy, and his life was all about worshiping God. But in Psalm 73, he tells a story about a time in his life when he had a hard time giving praise to God. He didn't feel very much like worshiping. I don't know about you, sometimes I show up to church and I am just so enthusiastic to worship the Lord. I'm excited to give praise to him. I just, it's overflowing in my heart and I just, I want to worship God. And maybe I shouldn't admit this since I'm a, a pastor, but there are sometimes I show up to church and I don't feel very much like worshiping God. I'm kind of discouraged, I'm kind of down, and the heart is not there the way that I wish it were. Well, that was Asaph in Psalm 73. His job was still to give praise and worship to God, but he said, I'm not feeling it. There's other things going on in my heart, and it's making it really hard. He was confused and he was discouraged. Well, why is that? Well, let's see what he says in Psalm 73, verses 2 and 3. It says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. So he's using a picture. You can almost imagine him. He's like almost on the edge of a cliff. And his feet are slipping out from underneath him, and he's about to fall off the edge. Something's about to happen. He's about to, he's about to fall. He, disaster is about to strike. So what is going on? He's saying in his heart, that's what's going on. It's like he's about to slip off the edge of this cliff. He says, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph is looking around him at the world, and he notices something. He sees lots of wicked, sinful people in the world. Now let me ask you, are there a lot of wicked, sinful people in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Asaph looked around him and he said, there are a lot of wicked and sinful people in this world. But he saw something that really seemed like a problem to him because he saw all of these wicked, sinful people. They were proud, they were violent, they were corrupt. But as he looked at them, it looked like those people were getting everything that they could wish for. They were rich, they had lots of stuff. It seemed like they, would, they just did and said whatever they wanted to do and say, and they always got away with it. And he says in verses 11 and 12, and they say, he's talking about these, these, these rich, these wicked, these sinful people. He said, and they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. So he said, these people, they look at God and they say, God doesn't know. God doesn't care. I can do whatever I want. And he said, these people with that sort of attitude towards God, they're, they're ungodly people, but they're prospering. They're getting lots of money. They're doing well for themselves. And Asaph looks around, at him, around and he sees these people and he says, this is not right. This is not good. And it confuses him and it discourages him. How could things be that way? And here's what he started to think. Verse 13, he said, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. 
So Asaph is saying, I'm here, I'm trying to serve God, I'm trying to do things the right way, I'm trying to be a righteous person, but it's no, doing me no good. The sinners are out there doing whatever they want and they get all the stuff they could wish for and here I am trying to serve the Lord and it's not doing me any good. He's starting to say these things in his heart. Verse 16, he says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. The more he thinks about it, the more it hurts his heart to think about it. The more it confuses him, the more it discourages him, the more he says, this is not how the world should be. This is not how things ought to be happening. What is wrong? But then, I'm glad the psalm doesn't end there. Asaph keeps talking. Something happens. In verse 17, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. He goes on, he says, surely thou, he's talking to God, surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. So remember, Asaph didn't feel very much like worshiping God, but guess what he did anyway? He went to worship God. And when he did, he remembered what God said about sin and what God said about the fact that he would judge sin. And Asaph realized that even though he looks around and all these people are getting away with all these horrible things and it seems like they're getting rewarded for their wickedness, guess who's still the judge? God is. Are they going to really get away with all that sin? No. They might get away with it in this lifetime, but they will face judgment for their sin. And Asaph said he realized as he worshipped God, no, God does have control of this. God does have a plan. God is still going to judge them. It might not look like it now, but they are going to face the judgment they deserve for their sin. Asaph comes to realize that all that confusion and that discouragement he had and all those thoughts he had about the fact that it, he, it didn't even help at all that he was serving God, that was all wrong. He says in verses 21 and 22, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. He says, I was so foolish to think that way. But when he was just looking around at the world and thinking about it in his own mind and not taking it before the Lord, he came to some pretty foolish conclusions. And that's what happens. If we just look around us, and instead of taking it to the Lord, we try to figure it all out on our own, we come to some pretty foolish conclusions too. The more time he spent with God, the more clearly he came to understand that what God has said is true. And so he can trust God to do what he said that he will do. He might not see it happening yet, but he can trust God that it's going to happen. Sin will be judged. Sinners will not live scot-free forever. God does reward those who walk with him. And it's interesting because if you look at this psalm, Asaph starts out and he's all discouraged. He's down because all the stuff he's looking around, the world and, and all, these, all these troubles, all these sinful people and all this mess. But by the time you come to the end of the psalm, it's a song of praise to God. And he says in the last few verses, starting in verse 25, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My heart and my 
my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. So he finishes up by giving praise to God and no longer is he just discouraged and not wanting to worship God. He's worshiping God with all of his heart now. You know, do you ever look around and see all the sin and the bad things in the world and get confused or discouraged by that? Well, you should go talk to God. And remember that God's word is always true. What God has promised is that he will make it all right. We don't necessarily see that happening in our lives, but God is going to set the record straight. He's going to make sure that all sin is dealt with. He is going to make sure that those who follow him and give all to him are rewarded. We don't see that all happen in our lives here, but what God has said is going to happen is going to happen. We can trust him. Well, let's leave Asaph where he is praising God, and let's move on over to 1 Kings 19. And there we're going to meet someone else who is confused and discouraged. And this is a prophet named Elijah. I think probably most all of you have heard of Elijah. All right, he's a prophet that we hear a lot about in the Bible. He was a prophet for God. God used him to do some amazing things. For example, not long before 1 Kings 19, where we're at tonight, um, he was up on Mount Carmel. You've probably heard the story where he goes up against the prophets of Baal, and he says, we're both going to prepare a sacrifice, and we'll both call out to our gods. So I'm going to call out to the true God. You call out to your, your God or your group of gods, Baal. And we'll see who sends fire on the sacrifice that we've prepared. And of course, the prophets of Baal, they call out to their God. They do all kinds of stuff to try to convince him, and nothing works. And then Elijah calls out to God. And God sends fire that not only eats up the sacrifice, but it eats up the wood. It eats up the stones of the altar. It eats up the buckets of water that have been poured over the altar. The whole thing is just gone like that. And there's this amazing display of the power of God, and everybody sees that, and they can't help but have to say, wow, he must be the true God. And it's this amazing moment in Elijah's life. He sees the power of God in a, in a great way. But have you guys heard of Jezebel? She was bad news. She was the queen of Israel. And she did not like Elijah because she worshipped Baal, that false god. And so she wanted to go after Elijah. She wanted to get rid of him. She wanted to kill him. And she told Elijah, I'm coming after you. You better watch out. And so Elijah had to run. He, he got out of there because he was afraid that she was going to come after him and kill him. And he goes out into the wilderness and he starts wandering around and he thinks that it's all over. Even after all that he's seen, all of a sudden, it seems like everything's gone against him. So Elijah is confused, and he's discouraged. It seems like things were going so well. It seems like things were going to change, and all of a sudden, the nation was going to head in a new direction. And now he's running for his life. And so 
Elijah finds himself in a cave in the side of a mountain called Mount Horeb. And in 1 Kings 19, verse 9, it says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah was convinced that all was lost. He thought, I'm the only one left who's trying to serve God, and now they're coming after me. And they're going to get me, and it's all going to be over. There's going to be no one left to serve the Lord. God's work is going to be done. We thought we were headed in the right direction, and now it's just, there's no hope. Well, it's interesting what happens next. God says, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. So Elijah steps out to the mouth of the cave. And it says, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, before we go on, this is really interesting to me that God does this. Because God wanted to remind Elijah of how great he was. God can shake the mountains. So Elijah's here, and God sends this this wind, and it says it rent the mountains. In other words, it was strong enough that it could break up that mountain. Can you imagine wind that strong? And then he sends an earthquake. So Elijah's there. There's this strong wind that's just breaking things up. The rocks are being broken up in the mountain. Then there's an earthquake. Then there's this powerful fire. God was wanting Elijah to remember how strong he is. God can shake the mountains. He can break the rocks. He can bend the trees. He can burn anything and everything. He is truly in charge. And God used that fact that he was in charge of nature to remind Elijah about that. But still, after all of that, God asks Elijah what he's doing, and he says the same thing as before. Here's what he says. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. But God's not done. He tells Elijah some things that he wants him to do. And God is using this to remind Elijah about some things. So first of all, he wants to remind Elijah that he isn't done with him. God wants Elijah to know, your work's not done yet. I still have these jobs for you to do. God also wants to remind Elijah that he still has a plan. So when Jezebel said, I'm coming after you, Elijah, I'm going to kill you, God didn't say, oh no, what's going to happen now? No, God had a plan already. But also, 
God says to Elijah in verse 18, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. God wanted Elijah to know that he still had an army. Sin and wickedness had not won, and they weren't going to win. Jezebel wasn't in charge. God was. God, the one who could shake and break the mountain, also controls history. And God wanted Elijah to remember that. I'm still in charge. I still have power. I still have a plan. God wanted Elijah to know that he is always great. Elijah was able to leave that cave in the mountain with a new energy to serve God because God had helped him remember that it wasn't all about Elijah. Now, if it had been all about Elijah, then there would have been a problem because Elijah couldn't have figured it out himself. He couldn't have gotten out of that situation by himself. But he wasn't the one calling the shots. He wasn't the one who was truly in charge. It was God. It was all up to God, and God is always great. He's always in charge. And when Elijah talked to God, he was reminded of that truth. He was reminded of the power and greatness of God, and that helped that discouragement to melt away and Elijah to get back into the work that God had for him to do. He came and he talked to God and he was reminded of the truth of who God was and that prepared him to get back out there and serve God. Well, finally, we're going to look at one more guy in the Bible. And this is in a book of the Bible that you might not look at very often. It's the book of Habakkuk. And there we're going to look at a man. It's the man who wrote this book. Any guesses on what his name is? Habakkuk. Habakkuk. You got it. All right. That's right. Now, Habakkuk was another prophet. So that means that he spoke the truth of God to God's people. He was a, a preacher of the truth. And the book of Habakkuk is interesting because it's actually kind of a conversation between Habakkuk and God. It's a little bit different from a lot of other prophetic books in that way. Um, but as we come into this book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is kind of like Asaph and Elijah. He's looking around him, and what he's seeing is causing him to be confused and discouraged. So here's how he starts out the book. Habakkuk, two, I'm sorry, Habakkuk 1, uh, verses 2 through 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass, compass about the righteous. So what is he saying? Well, I'm sorry, I'm, I skipped the last part. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. So in other words, Habakkuk is looking around at his nation, and this is the nation of Judah, and he sees sin everywhere. It seems like everywhere he looks, all that he sees is wickedness, foolishness, violence, and he wonders, why is God letting this all happen? 
we can sometimes ask that same question. We look at things going on in the world, the sin that we see, the awful things that are happening, and we think, why is God letting this happen? It can be confusing. It can be discouraging. And God is seeing, or Habakkuk is seeing his sinful nation, and he's asking God, how can you allow this to happen? It seems like the true righteous judgment is gone, and wickedness is winning. Well, God answers him, and he lets him know that he sees all that sin too. It's not that God misses the fact that there's all this sin going on, but God has a plan. He's going to send a nation that's going to conquer the people of Judah in punishment for all their sin. He's going to send the nation of Babylon. That's God's plan. He says, I haven't, I, I, I'm not missing out on this fact that you're surrounded by sin, Habakkuk. I see all that's going on, and I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to send judgment by sending this nation of, of Babylon to conquer the people to punish them for their sin. Well, that answers Habakkuk's first question, but that bothers him too. Because the nation of Babylon was not a good nation. It's not like the nation of Babylon was full of people that loved God and wanted to worship and please God. If anything, they were a whole lot more wicked than the people of Judah were. And so Habakkuk comes back to God and he says, how could you let these people conquer Judah who are even more wicked than we are? I mean, yeah, you're judging our sin, but what about them? What about all their sin? Aren't they going to get judged? What, what, what's going on, God? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. He says in verse 13, this is Habakkuk talking to God, he says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked, wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? He says, how can you hold back judgment from this nation that's even more wicked than we are? Well, God has an answer for that too. It's not like God's plan goes out this far and then he gets there and he has to say, hmm, I guess I'll have to figure out the next step in my plan now. No, God's got it all figured out. And he tells, he tells Habakkuk that Babylon is not going to last forever. They're not just going to go on living in their sin and being happy about it they too are going to be judged for their sin. God has it all figured out. It's all part of his plan. Chapter 2 of Habakkuk ends with um, Habakkuk. This is him responding to what God is showing him about the truth in this. And he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Habakkuk realizes God really is in charge. God's looking down, and he sees it all, and he's got a plan for it all. He's not just letting things happen and not responding to them. There's a purpose, and there's a plan in all of it. And guess what? God's plan is always a good plan. So Habakkuk actually ends this book, and it kind of reminds me of Asaph, with a prayer to God that then turns into a song of praise to God. 
He gives praise to God for his amazing word, for his great power and judgment, and for his goodness. And I love the way that the book of Habakkuk ends. Here's what Habakkuk says at the end. He says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now, that's a lot, but basically if we could sum it up, everything's gone. There's no food, there's no provision, everything's been taken away. We don't know where our next meal is coming from. Habakkuk says, even if it gets that bad, here's what he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. So Habakkuk says, even if it gets that bad, guess what I know, guess what I know to be true? God is still a good God. And God still has a perfect plan. And so I'm still going to rejoice in him. I'm still going to trust in him. And so as, God, as Habakkuk talked to God, he started out confused and discouraged. But as he talked to God, he was reminded of the fact that God has a perfect plan. God's way is perfect. God is always good. Even when God's ways didn't make sense to Habakkuk, God's ways are still good. So, do we ever get confused? Do we ever have questions? And we can't seem to find the answers. Maybe wondering why things are the way they are, or why God has allowed something to happen the way that it's happened. We all have those questions sometimes. Well, God doesn't always answer our questions, but when we have those questions or that discouragement, we can remember that God is never confused. He might not answer the questions for us, but he sees it all clearly. No matter what, we can turn to him and know that he's always true, he is always great, he is always good. We learned this year in Kids for Truth about God's word. We learned about God's greatness, and we learned about God's goodness. And part of what my burden was for tonight is for us as we come to the end of the Kids for Truth year to realize, and I know we've been reminded of this through the year, but these truths that we're learning, it's not just about filling our minds with information. These are truths that change our lives every day. When we come to know the truth about God's word and about the fact that God is truly great and God is truly good, that can change our life every day. The way that we look at situations, the way that we respond, the way that we're able to go to God and talk to him about things like these three men did. When we come to understand these truths, it transforms our lives, not just fills our minds. Wisdom is about taking the truth that we've learned and putting it into work in our lives. And that's what I hope that you will do with all that we've been able to learn about God's word, about the character of God in his greatness and his goodness. And I hope that all of us can do that with these truths that we've considered with these men's, from these men's lives tonight. God is always true. We can trust what he has said. 
God is always great. He's in charge. And God is always good. His plan is perfect. And I hope that we can take a page from, um, from these men's books because we can give them a hard time for doubting God or for uh, saying things that were foolish as they, these questions were swirling in their minds. But at the end of the day, all three of them did the right thing. They talked to God about it. I hope we'll learn that when we get confused and discouraged by what's happening in our lives or in the world, that we'll go and talk to God and see what his word says and find encouragement in knowing who he is, that he's always true and great and good. And just one final thing that I think is interesting as we're considering this, um, you know, we have these three stories for a reason. And, of course, the spiritual reason is that God's spirit wanted these stories to all be in Scripture, and he made sure that they got written down. But it also reminds me that there had to be a human being in each of these cases who was taking these stories down. And in Asaph and Habakkuk's case, they were telling the story about what God did in their own life. In Elijah's case, it was somebody else writing it down, but Elijah, no doubt, was the one who shared that story as well, and it was... It made its way to the author of that book. But it reminds me as we learn these truths, and we've had a chance this year to learn a lot of truths, that we won't just keep them to ourselves, but that as God teaches us these things, that we will be sharing them with others as well. That we'll follow the pattern of these guys who said, here's what God taught me, let me tell you about it. And I hope that's an encouragement and challenge to us as well. As God teaches us, let's pass those truths along to others. Not only does that allow the truth to get out that much more, but it also helps to um, strengthen those things in our own hearts as well. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for the confidence we can have in who you are. Thank you for the unshaking confidence we have that you never change. And so as we consider what is true about your word and about your character, we don't have to wonder if our beliefs are going to need to change at some point. We can stand on them forever. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see who you are clearly. And help us, Lord, we all face these situations where we are confused or discouraged Things just don't seem to make sense, or we wonder why you're allowing things to happen the way they are. Lord, help us to run to you. Help us to know that your word is true. We can trust what it says. What you say is going to happen in the end is truly going to happen in the end. And what you promise to us about our lives here on earth, those are promises we can cling to. And Lord, just help us as we look to you to recognize your overarching control of all that's going on, that you have a plan, uh, that no one can interrupt or mess up your plan, and that your plan is perfect. Build our faith, we ask. And Lord, be with these young people. Thank you for all that they've learned this year. 
help these truths to, to stay firmly in their minds, but also in their hearts. Help these truths to transform who they are. Not just so they can give the right answer to a question, but so that their lives are truly built on biblical truth. And uh, only you know the strength of a life that is built on biblical truth. Lord, I thank you for the year you've given us in Kids for Truth. And I ask that you'd continue to use this program as we move ahead, seeking to, to do your work. May we all be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.